Good evening, good morning, and good afternoon to one and all, and welcome to another episode of Eat the Storms, the poetry podcast. Coming to you pre-recorded on Spotify, Apple, Google, Breaker, Podbean, Pocketcast, Overcast, Castbox, Podcast Addicts, and iTunes. I am Damien B. Donnelly, happy to be your host and producer, and so pleased to welcome you back to another episode of the podcast today. Today, this is a show of familiars, and certainly for me, from muses. When I started writing, and more importantly, perhaps, when I started gaining the nerve and the neck to actually put poems out there into the world, it all started on a blog on WordPress. That was back somewhere around 2008, 2009, when I was living in Amsterdam, and it was the first time that I actually interacted with fellow writers, although at the time I definitely did not call myself a writer. Over the course of the next few years, I discovered many amazing creators, from poets to prose writers to painters to photographers, and I am so honoured that today, three of my original poetic muses from WordPress are joining us, and one of them is the author of our collection of the week. They take us to the United Kingdom, to France, and to the United States. And along with them, we are joined by two newer muses, one who's been such a supporter of the podcast since the beginning, and also who has been a fantastic frequent returning guest. And the second, who is a first-time guest to Eat the Storms today, and yes, she is already one of my muses. So, yes, another diverse show, but with one thing in common, and that is that they are all my muses, new and old. This is Eat the Storms, the poetry podcast. My name is Damien B. Donnelly, so I suggest you sit back, whether that's in the sun, on the sand, or sipping sangria, accompanied by peanuts, pineapples, or a really good slice of pie. I hope you all enjoy the show. Now, first up today is the WordPress muse who hails all the way from the United States of America and New Jersey, to be more precise. Her work has appeared in places like Black Bow Poetry, Anti-Heroin Chic, Fevers of the Mind Press, and I'm so honoured that she was a sparkling contributor to the Storms Journal and is thankfully a frequent returning guest of us here on the podcast. Four years when I worked as a pattern maker in Paris, my Monday lunchtime breaks were spent in her Monday morning musings thanks to her online blog and I suggest that you all go and check them out. Her debut collection was published last year called River Ghosts from Nightingale and Sparrow from which you'll hear poems today so I am so honoured to hand you over once again here on Eat the Storms to the holder of a PhD in American history from Temple University, the author of numerous books on gender, sexuality and history. This is the incredible Meryl D. Smith. Hi Damien and listeners. Thank you for inviting me back to your show. I'm, I'm really thrilled to be here, especially with Sarah and Jane. I hope the noises outside won't interfere with my reading too much. Um, I'm going to read some poems from my collection, River Ghosts. This first one is the 
uh, the very first poem in the book, and it's called River Ghosts. In the abandoned garden, ghosts in dusty grass sit still in the long ago. A gull's laugh breaks the silence, echoes. Echoes over the river, through the thin spaces of cloud-like shimmering. Spring-scented rain falls, falls like memories of before and dreams no longer remembered, yet whisper in dusty grass. This next one is called Handprint. Once stars shimmered brighter in the night and you left your handprint, a symbol on the wall. The red ochre now faded, but it was a brilliant sight once. Stars shimmered brighter in the night then. I wish I could see that light. Trace it like your mark where you stood tall once. Stars shimmered in the night and you left. Your handprint, a symbol on the wall. This next one is called Buddha Memories and it's dedicated to my sister Lori. My parents' antique store was a place of mystery filled with ancient transients, though well-groomed, wearing their past glory and future dreams in their faded brocade and gleaming wood. My sister and I romped over scuffed floors and behind curio cabinets, explorers, curators of treasures, the chair that was really a throne, the dragon figures that breathed real fire, but only if you looked carefully with a child's eyes. We saw wonders needing to imagine, mm -hmm. not to possess, though drawn to surfaces polished by time, the lure of the old. We rubbed the laughing Buddha's belly for good luck. Now, Though graying and life etched, I can still see the fire-breathing dragon and the chair throne. I tell my sister, and we laugh like the Buddha. This is the final poem in River Ghosts. It's called Half Concealed and Half Revealed. How will we remember these days of grief and sorrow for our world? The facts of buds on trees and rivers that keep on flowing, concealing and revealing what lies beneath. In the upside down world where we gaze at transitory beauty and fall topsy-turvy into its depths as spring dances mercurial 
swiftly fleeting, yet heralding the facts. Yellow-green wisps turn darker. The world gets hotter, and trees reach up to light and down to darkness. Half-revealed, half-concealed, thoughts glimmer like tears until they drop salty pearls, leaving an alluvial trail fertile with memories. And I think of this and eternity as I listen to words rolling on, the singularity of time and space, the black hole left in an absence. Even as we remember the moments, lifespans before we are born, when my mother meets my father and holds my older brother on her lap and she is young, old, older, gone, and here. And this is a new poem. Uh, it came from an ecrastic prompt done by, uh, hosted by Paul Brooks. Confounded Sight. The flapping flight of damselfly, a flitting ballet to human views, but compound eyes, a survivor's look. They were here with dinosaurs. What if we saw as they do, multi-imaged with iridescent hues, or if we flew through space to perch, each cherry blossom a universe of twinkling pollen to a bee? And what of rivers or oceans? Do fish tell stories of what they see or wonder at the human folly? The treasures rope rigged and hauled from watery depths when all we have to do is fall unwinged into love. Thank you again so much, Damien. This has really been a, a pleasure and an honor, and um, it's wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. to another I am delighted to say that my next guest is the author of our collection of the week here at Eat the Storms thanks to her debut poetry collection published by She Press called The Crow Gods. She has been a guest on the podcast multiple times is a contributor to the Storms Journal, along with Spelt magazine and anthologies from Black Bow Poetry, Experiments in Literature and also the anthology from She Press. As I said at the beginning, I met her first on WordPress, where she was one of my trio of muses introduced to me thanks to my third guest today. And I have been an admirer of hers ever since and have been so honored to take part in two of her Christmas Advent calendars, those poetic extravaganzas. Now, 
Just before I introduce her, I'm just going to read you a little bit from the blurb I wrote from that debut collection. Connor writes, That bitch courage never shows. None of us are brave. It's just that we keep going. If that's the case, courage doesn't know the strength she's missing. Extraordinary what a single bird can carry, how far the wing can take us, the resilience of the beat within the breast. This might be a first chapbook, but we are far from novice territory here. I've bookmarked this into the memory. Joining us today from Devon in the United Kingdom, a former child psychiatrist and now acclaimed and most beloved poet. Reading from that stunning debut collection, The Crow Gods, this is my mighty muse, Sarah Connor. Hi Damien, thank you so much for having me on your show. It's always a massive thrill to be here. I'm Sarah Connor and I'm going to read you three poems from my first chapbook. The book's called The Crow Gods and it's published by She Press. That's S-I-D-H-E for the non-Celts among you. This is Being Human. This Being Human is all about telling stories. It's travelling in a twisting caravan across the desert, depending on each other for flour, for water, for a soft red blanket, for bandages and apricots. What currency do we have but stories? The story of good morning, how's this for weather? The story of I love you, the story of childhood, the story of how to stay safe, how to eat well, how to survive, being lost, how to hold tight to someone's hand. It's whispering our stories at night, the stories of stars, of men and beasts and gods and flaming suns. It's singing our stories as we wash our plates, as we wait for tea to brew, as we clean our shoes. It's shouting our stories in anger. It's crooning them in love. It's sitting silent round the campfire, listening. We are stories, wrapped and tangled, offered with love or fear or laughter. This telling stories is all about being human. second poem I'm going to read is called Obios. Masked, I'm mayhem, mischief. I'm grab and run. I'm green shoots rising. I'm rain on dry soil. Masked, I'm spring and leaf and blossom opening and the first sip of the bee. Masked, I'm silver herring spilling and glimmering across the quay. Masked, I'm ridden by the goddess and I ride her until we're just a roiling, rutting ball of limbs and lust and dust and seed. Masked, I'm Jack of the Green, Jack in the Pulpit, Jack the Giant Slayer. Unmasked, I'm Jack the Lad outside the pub, swilling a final pint, spewing galaxies into the gutter. 
This is car. This car is full of ghosts, echoes of us, trailing muddy boots, wet swimming costumes, snatched coffees. Oh, we've lived here. Spilt water, secrets, fizzy drinks, shouted at the radio, at the sat-nav, at each other, told our stories of successes and betrayals. We've slept here, heads lolling on the long road north. We'll clean it out before we sell it. Gather up old receipts for faded clothes, stray Lego bricks and crumbs and seashells that we gathered and forgot about. Perhaps the future owner will still feel us there, a waft of wood smoke or of chlorine or ice cream's vanilla kiss. Perhaps a giggle or a grumble from the back or perhaps the radio will play an old Ed Sheeran song and we'll be there singing along, some of us out of key or out of time, still driving down these country roads. WordPress views on today's show, though not my final news on the show today. We are heading to France for the poets with the best poetry prompts, who originally brought all of us together with her enthusiasm, her energy, and her exceptional poetry. I followed in her shadow to the streets of Paris just as she moved off to the south of France. She is a poet and a novelist, a Pushcart Prize nominee with work in places like the Ogham Stone, the Aphrastic Review, Nightingale and Sparrow, Blackbound Poetry, Ink, Sweat and Tears, and of course, the Storm's Journal. Her novel series, The Pathfinders, and their time-travelling wormholes are now available on Amazon, along with her two exceptional chapbooks, Thicker Than Water and Birds and Other Feathers. Her prompt series, A Month with Yates, back when I lived in Paris, was a month of pure creativity and excitement that I won't forget, and it bonded all of us together even further. This is my original WordPress muse, Jane Doherty. Hello, this is Jane Doherty, and I'm going to read a few poems from my two collections, Thicker Than Water and Birds and Other Feathers. These first poems are from Thicker Than Water. The Thickness of Water Sea coils in shells and stone walls, clouded air, the steely depth of rain and the saturation of thirsty earth in spreading water words that we stomp in puddles with childish feet. It lies like blanketed rock, its wavy sedimentary lines layers of time riddled with shells, rising and filling the satin fragility of flesh with the thick sweetness of honey from sole of foot to lips. And when I taste the taste of you, it is the layered, shell-sprinkled tang of all recorded time. The next poem is called Ophelia. 
Take me to the river, she said, and her mouth filled with tears, blossoming hot and red as heart's blood, or never-never flowers. He smiled and took her in his arms, carried her to the narrow boat and set her down. This will be better than the dark, he said, and filled the boat with flowers. He never asked if she saw his dark, never considered she had thoughts at all. Take me to the river, she said, where sunlight dances in golden points and damselflies hover gaudy jewels. So he did, and they did, for a moment at least, before he brought the dark. The next poem is called When I Am Old. When I am old, I am already grey, the silvered strands as rich and thick as black. This quiet landscape, rainy green, will stay, though threads of fading memory grow slack. When I am old and have no fire's glow to coax the blood to frozen fingertips, I'll think of those raw days of long ago, and how you warmed the magic with your lips. When I am old, and these hills are the past, our lives encompassed by some city cell. I will recall how we walked to the last, the ways of love. Strong as the ocean swell, and nothing in the din, the grey streets throng, will ever dim the sound of blackbird's song. This is inspired by a phrase from Joyce's portrait of the artist. In the warm dark, Breathing the smell of the peasants, air and rain, turf and corduroy. But oh, the road there between the trees was dark. The poem is called The Road Between the Trees. We are all bound in the warm dark, all treading the path that winds between woodbine and briar in the warm dark, breathing the smell of the peasants, on our tongues the language of the dead, the unknown bones that sleep in the mud, though once they were air and rain and turf and corduroy. We are air and rain and bound in the warm dark, and our feet tread the turf we said we would never leave, and on our tongues the taste of the breath our mothers breathed. They reached out to us the bare branches, winter dark, and the turf was cold in the grate, though we swore we would never leave, smelling of air and rain and turf and corduroy. The way back called in a sweet rough voice, but all the road there between the trees was dark. These poems are taken from Birds and Other Feathers. Eagle. She walked with the eagle, my gran, not the thin-lipped bishop with his pointing finger. She walked the reek alone, no ghost to take her arm, but the dark roiling presence of the mountain stone and the ocean waves that swelled in her heart with the voices of the loved and lost. Her sorrow is part of me still, though she flies now, eagle high. I was born with her tears in my blood, like rain in the wild male sky. They will run in its tide till I die. This one is called Sleep on the Wing. Sleep on the wing, soft brown bird, as the gold fades to night and light dies in the west. Sleep on the wing as breeze stirs the leaves, riffles the yellow of tall meadow sweet. Tonight some will die and some will be born, 
in the warm furred burrows beneath grass roots, and the moon will be full and silver ripe, an apple of healing for this broken world. This is called What I Will Be. The bird that flew out of the turret rests its wings in the tree above my head, and I hear it croon like the restless wind to the restless green waves calling, calling. In the silence of middays, some are still clinging, when the leaves are hanging like weary hands, to the house with the turret among trees hidden, I turn with the song of the bird in my head. I turn to the house among tree trunks hidden, among tree brows hidden, and make a vow, that the bird, the song, and the summer hush, that beat like the wings of night-pale moths, will sing with the dark, the nightingale's song, gentle as moths by the dark stream flitting, and I'll be the song poured into your ear, the wings of the bird to bear you away. And this is called The Rose in the Night, the second part. The rose came in the night and sang of blackbirds and a bloody dawn and waves that rose and drowned the sun that swallowed sky and rained upon a land of sadness full of tears. Thousands more, too many times the tides have ebbed and flowed again, and still they come and still they die. How many more before we're done? Through the mist a song is sung, a thrush weeps where the rose is hung. My penultimate guest on Eat the Storms today is my newest muse and after you hear her read, I am pretty sure that I will not be the only one admiring this Irish poet and word witch whose poetry speaks of the return of the sacred feminine and our deep connection to the earth and who today will read sections from her long epic poem message from Bridget. Now she was also the matron of honour to our dear Sarah Connor. So what more fitting a connection of muses could we have on one episode? I'd like to say this was all a magical coincidence, but hey, I'm a planner. She has twice been awarded Arts Council funding and has performed her poetry at places like the Southbank Centre in London, Stanza Poetry Festival, the Wicklow Arts Festival here in Ireland, the Sirius Arts Centre in Cove and County Cork, Armatus International Festival in Spain and 100,000 Poets for Change in Italy. She is a Hennessy New Irish Writing winner and has appeared in the Irish Times, Headstuff.org and Skylight 47. This is Siobhan McMahon. One day, a voice spoke to me in the language of silence. My body answered and I was undone. Return to the land of your belonging, she said. Dig up the bones of the forgotten, follow the old dreaming paths. The truth has been trapped in a sarcophagus of soil and silence. But there is a new story, more beautiful than anything you could ever imagine, and the time has come for it to be heard. So that is the beginning verse from a long epic poem of mine called Message from Bridget, 
uh, Bridget being the goddess and the saint of Ireland. And it charts a mythical, if you like, um, journey home to the land of our belonging, the land of our spiritual belonging. And I'm going to do a few pieces from that uh, to give you an idea of the flavour of message from Bridget. So then Bridget tells our protagonist to step out onto the invisible path, she said. One you have no map for, except the one you carry scrolled in your body, the one you brought back from the forsaken lands of the dead with your name written in it in indelible ink. That map, you know the one I mean. There will be no going back, she said. The path behind you, the one you have walked for thousands of years, is already overgrown, the way back littered with burning bridges and rotting corpses. Many will say you are mad, they will insist you turn back, they will demand you explain your reasoning. Say nothing to them. For how could you possibly translate the exquisite music of God into words? They will call you crazy, though, of course, deranged, mad, unhinged. They will say you know nothing of oil or war or men, of children buried in the rubble of their destruction. But you can hear their cries smouldering in the ashes. They will tell you to calm down, to be rational, to contain yourself. They will tell you that the only way to peace is through war and more war and endless fecking war and they will call you mad. They will spit on you, call you a fool. They will say there is not enough for us all, that all the rivers must be poisoned, the forest slashed to weeping stumps. They will say there is no other way. But I tell you, there is another way. It is already here. You are the way the truth and the light, and you must travel in the direction of your wildest dreams. Anything else is madness. And then after many trials and tri tribulations, our protagonist finally sees the path opening and she says, and I saw the path opening home beneath our feet, paved with the words to the only story there ever was, a love poem written in the fabric of our being since before the beginning of time, a prayer pouring through us, spelling the holy names of every living thing, burning every illusion into ash until all that is left is love. And then in this next bit, Bridget, um, who is a triple goddess, goddess of healing and midwifery, of poetry and of the forge and the flame. So stepping into her midwife, mid, midwife role and clapping her hands, she says, The time of the birth is upon us and we must make ready. Let the great fires be lit on every holy mountain of this land to guide her home. Follow the women. They know the way home. Many have already set off. Can you not hear the great banging of drums, the shrieks of laughter, the sound of the earth shuddering beneath their dancing feet? Listen also to the men who are reporting back with outrageous tales of a wild belonging, the ones who have caught a glimpse of her radiance in the depths of their souls. 
Speechless with awe, they throw themselves upon the ground, crying, Alleluia, Alleluia, they cry. She has ravished me with her beauty, led me stumbling towards home. And then finally, towards the end of the piece, um, Bridget, goddess and saint of Ireland, lays her cloak around our protagonist's shoulder. Now, the, the cloak of Bridget is a very famous um, symbol or emblem of Bridget. It's a cloak of and a mantle of protection. And so it goes. And then she wrapped her cloak around me and I saw that it was made new again. I saw the generations of women working in the dark, mending the torn fabric of our broken world with their invisible thread, teaching their children the exquisite patterning of love, the delicate stitching of hope. And I saw how she had sewn heaven into the muddy hem of the earth, woven the worlds together, embroidered with eternity. And I saw the cloth on brat breege spilling from her arms, acre upon acre of it, unfurling as far as the eye could see, shimmering with song. And so finally, after all her trials and tribulations, our protagonist agrees and knows that she will be given all the support she ever needs to bring the message of Bridget into the world. And she says... Yes, I will. Do with me what you will. And she delivers the final verse, which is the message from Bridget. Message from Bridget to the keepers of her flame. At first you will speak in a language outside the margins of knowing. Your words will fall on deaf ears and you will feel alone. But be not afraid. Generations have walked this path before you, clearing the way with their bare hands. They have left the memory of my name in stone and bog and soil. Look, there are thousands upon thousands of them lining the path home. And now is the time to remember the eternal prayer of your belonging. Step off into the darkness. And there will be nothing but your loveliness illuminating the path home. For you carry the resurrection in your body. It was there all along waiting for you to remember. This is your holy work. And I bring a new language where there is no word for fear, where love has a thousand, thousand names spoken in a thousand wild tongues, all singing at the same time. Jai Shri Bridget, Bridget, Bridget Ma, Jai Shri Ma, Jai Shri Bridget, Bridget, Bridget Ma. Jai Shri Ma. My final guest on the show today has certainly been a long-time muse of mine. 
Even before I read her extraordinary debut collection, Magnifying Glass, published by Black Eyes Publishing back in 2020, a collection of poems focusing on moments from childhood floating on out into adulthood. Herself and her wife, Kath, have long been supporters of the podcast and each Sunday tune in with some form of fancy feast, whether that is just a brilliant plate or fantastic biscuits and two wooden spoons which they sent me. Engraved with Eat the Storms and Saucy Stirrers are highlights of my kitchen cooking time. The YouTube videos of her reading her own poetry are the perfect antidote to a long day. I suggest you go and check them out. Her bio says she loves her wife, the coast and the scent of ice cream and well, who can blame her? I am so pleased to close the show today with one of my favourite returning stormers. This is Sue Finch. Thank you for having me back as a returning guest, Damien. I have some poems for you this afternoon and the first one of those is called Digging That Hole. Day after day she let us dig that hole. You made the sides straight, marvelled at lines you called strata. I just liked the way there was real orange in amongst the expected brown, how it looked sliced instead of dirty. I disliked the crumbs at the bottom, that never-diminishing scattering that I couldn't spade out. You said if we kept on, worked hard enough, we'd feel warmth from the centre of the earth that we would know by laying our hands flat on the bottom of our freshly dug hole. You told me Australia was right beneath us. It all seemed so worth digging for. I pictured us emerging in a different country, staying there until tea time, coming back to tell Mum. Each time you pressed your palm to feel for heat, you looked hopeful, silently inviting me to copy but I only ever felt the cold damp of earthworms' homes. The first thing I thought of each holiday morning was digging that hole. I pictured you, spade ready, jumping in, getting started, swinging your loaded spade high. I imagined myself up top, remembering that excavated piles took up more room out of the hole than in, shoveling the earth away as quickly as I could, being interrupted by your sudden warning. It's hot. The lava's coming. This next poem is a love poem for my sister. It's called The Peacock. Do you remember the peacock that ate the grape that rolled from our picnic? How we were amused at first by the swollen oval in its neck, then shocked by how slowly it sank. I remember swallowing hard, wishing that would help, looking to its eyes, wanting to know if it was panicking yet. It stood stately, unblinking, before taking ballet steps across the grass, its head back and to, searching for other things to peck. Do you remember us going back later, to check it hadn't choked, us hugging each other in sheer relief? And this poem is about a tortoise that my brother and I had when we were young. It's called, She Puts on a Spring Dress the Day the Tortoise Comes Out of Hibernation. Sits with him on her lap. 
A bowl of water balances on the arm of the settee and she is dipping cotton wool in. Gently and slowly she works to unstick his eyes, trying to mask the fear that he is not going to wake up, that he has been dead all this time. We watch, not knowing which will fascinate us most. When the flicker finally comes, he empties his bowels onto her lap. We are impressed that all this comes from such a small creature. She sits unmoving as the puddle, now larger than the tortoise itself, begins to seep through her dress. And this poem's called Fish Dinner. At first, he's an extra branch on the log, eyes sung shut by the water's repeating lullaby, his dream too good to break. When his nostrils flick open, I think it is my scent that has pressed the switch. Flex of nose forces eyes forward, awake now and looking, he sees. Grey sky darkens, a man stands ready with a bucket of fish. Bullets of rain wound the pool. The glass is suddenly too thin. I dread the teeth, but do not move. Other otters come to blur the picture, their sudden hunger filling the space between him and me. Tossed fish hold balletic body shapes in the air before being rawly razored in the tightest of grips. I see my mother attacking dab fins in the kitchen. 1977, Silver Jubilee year, scissoring viciously, dumping them in flour. She will fry them fiercely a few minutes on each side while she thumps the lumps out of mashed potato. Fish feast over, the otters plunge into the water. The rain flattens my hair. This next poem is called Clambake, which is an Elvis Presley movie title, just in case there's anybody out there who wasn't aware. Clambake. I have not heard of it, the night its title was spelt out in tiles on the Ouija board. The question lingered on the air, like smoke from a blown-out candle. Is there anyone there? My thighs clenched, dreading a reply. A pause, then, before the spelling began. E-L-V-I-S. And then Presley, as if the surname was needed as full proof. I loved Elvis. Those movies with the helicopters, his quiffed hair, the songs, the way the crowds went wild while I sat unmoving on my settee. So many things we could have asked when of all the people calling on the dead that night he chose our glass to slide across the table. Too scared to make a sound I waited, watched that slow movement to the letter C before the frenzied zigzag to complete the spelling. Which of your movies was your favourite? Such a waste of a question. I wanted to ask if he was happy. And if he was, why was he in our living room? I could never drink orange juice from that glass again. 
Each time I slid the cupboard door open, I forced myself to check it was upside down. Every day I wanted to smash it to set the ghosts free. Thank you for listening to my poems. I'm Sue Finch and you can find me on Twitter. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sue. Thank you to all of my stunning users on today's show. Meryl D. Smith, Sarah Connor, Jane Doherty, Siobhan McMahon, and Sue Finch. Now, before we finish up, I'm going to leave you with a few poems. Some of them are mine, but this one is not. I was honoured to read this at the launch of The Crow Gods. This is Sarah Connor's poem, Fear and Courage, from her debut collection, The Crow Gods. Fear and Courage. Fear grabs me in the bathroom. Kisses that leave me bruised and hurting. I can still taste them now. Fear texts me all the time. Drops postcards in the mail, rings like a mad ex after midnight, won't stop calling me. That bitch courage never shows. She never writes. She never phones. It's like she doesn't know me. None of us are brave. It's just that we keep going, one step, then another. The next poem I'm going to read is also not mine. This time it's from another muse, and that muse is Anik Yerim. The reason I'm reading her poem today is because she is the head of She Press, who published Sarah Connor's The Crow Gods, and so it would not be complete to have an episode today to celebrate my muses without having a poem included from Anique. So I'm going to read one of the poems that she read previously on the podcast, basically because it's about baking. It is from her debut pamphlet, St. Eisenberg and the Sunshine Bus, and this is called German Bake Off, Home Edition. Thank you, Anique, for everything you do for all of us. And just before we begin, a little translation. Fleischkuschler is Swabian meatballs, and this passmal auf dich auf is take care of yourself now. Apologies for my very bad German. German Bake Off, home edition. The signature bake. How your mother, sister baked it. Swabian cheesecake. Short crust pastry, no soggy bottoms, no frills, always real quark. Mornings after parties, when breakfast was left over fresh couchelet, potato salad, no mayonnaise, cake. 
never a technical. You turned your nose up at the hodgepodge of variations I offered over the years, but always tried and finished them once on your plate. A crumbled biscuit base seemed wrong, cream cheese a stench. Who needs ill attempts at fruit mirror glaze? The showstopper. Thirty years of moving away from you. And now I'm back here, wishing for raisins, wishing for rain. Making promises I cannot keep, but still you hold them like the cake itself. Admiring my work. Lemon zest. A little custard powder. The maze-like imprint when you tip it onto a cooling rack. During our last phone call, you said, Yes, pass my outtick off. Three times. Like a spell. A mad dash of vanilla. Copious amounts of tears. Now watch it turn golden through the oven door. Now let heat transform it. Now let it go. And finally, I'm going to leave you with two poems that are mine. The first one is from that fantastic A Month with Yeats, the challenge that Jane Doherty set us back in November 2017. This was day seven, and the quote from WB Yeats was, Stars, grown old in dancing silver sandaled on the sea, sing in their high and lonely melody. From Yeats' poem, The Rose Upon the Rood. And my poem in response was called Through the Sands. And when they danced, she would hold him. Her perfume by his face, his hands as her strength. As they waltzed through their courage, as the tide swept the shore. Through love and labour, through to the firstborn, stillborn. Through to the twins who stopped the tears and the girls who tied the bows. As the sands slipped through time and the pace became a quick step. Through the hands that held and those hips that swayed through the melody they were making. As they danced through the waves of washing houses into homes. Children into strangers, rarely calling and barely remembering. But on they danced, as the red locks swept into silver strands, as the full head turned to bald head on an older head, as they turned to the music now made in the memory. Till she left him, finally, one morning in May. As he rose to the sunlight, but she'd been lost to the moonlight. 
And so he built her an altar of seashells and sentiments. And now he turns alone across the sands still slipping as the stars plot a path for him to reach for her eternity. And this last one is sticking with WB Yeats. This is called Toppling His Tower. What can I lay by the feet of such beauty? What can I offer my love on this land? A garden of roses omitting the torn? With this one golden ring I hold in my hand. But a garden of roses Omitting the torn is barely enough to garland your grace. So I'll pave you a path in the finest of fabrics. A boat of velvet adorned with fine lace. So if I pave you a path in the finest of fabrics. A cloth of brocade to comfort your cares. And a daylight distraction to hold your attention from the rebels and riots that are not our affairs. A daylight distraction to hold your attention to paintings and poems that hang by our side. In a tower I've built you to keep out the cries of a world lost to power and drunk on its pride. In a tower I'll build you, to keep out the cries, in a cage for the lark, from the meadow I'll borrow. So she'll sing of the stars and the moon that is ours, and we'll lay in arms as her song sweetens sorrow. But restless was her soul on the call from outside, and her beauty diminished by the sounds of their cries. And one day he lost her where his paved path divided and he cut down her roses with tears in his eyes. I gave her the finest, the fairest, the fancy. I gave her the beating heart of this lad. But she forever bound to the lost and the lonely which now I've become. And I fear she left glad. What could I lay by the feet of such beauty? What could I offer my love on this land? Not a garden of roses with shimmering thorns. Not this golden ring which she left in my hand.
Well, how was that for an evening, afternoon, or perhaps even morning here at Eat the Storms of Poetry Podcast, which has now come to the end of episode four, season seven. A podcast episode packed with muses and poetic legends, new and old. Thank you so much to my incredible guests. They have been the magnificent muses Meryl D. Smith, Jane Doherty, Sue Finch, Siobhan McMahon, and of course, the author of our collection of the week, The Crow Gods, published by She Press, Sarah Connor. And also a huge shout out and thank you to the equally marvellous Anique Yerum, poet and now publisher over at She Press. And of course, it goes without saying, it would be impossible to be here without all of you, the listeners, for tuning in. Whether that has been on Spotify, Apple, Google, Breaker, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Castbox, Podcast Addicts, iTunes, or any of the podcasts where we are now freely available. It means the world to me to know that you are out there on the armchair, on a beach, on the roof, in your car, tuning in and keeping us company. Now, if you have indeed enjoyed the company that you have heard today, then please head on over to www.eatthestorms.com. Click on the podcast section and there you will find a blog post for every episode. As I said, this was episode four, season seven. And in that blog post, you will find photos, bios and social media handles and website links to find, follow and be fans of all our stores. And of course, you will also there find a link to the books especially to The Crow Gods, our collection of the week from Sarah Connor, just in case I haven't mentioned that already. I'd also like to do a shout out and a thank you to WordPress, who originally brought us all together, and also, of course, to the long left legend that is WB8. Now, it may be the 10th of June, or perhaps it's much later, depending on when you've tuned into this pre-recorded podcast, but there still might be time for you to submit to The Storms, our journal of poetry, prose and visual arts, and issue three, which myself and the fantastic Nitty Casa are eagerly awaiting all of your submissions. So while you're over there at the website, eatthestorms.com, you can find out all our submission details. Please make sure you don't let this storm pass you by. Unless, of course, you were a contributor to issue two, because then we've asked you not as a mission to issue three, but indeed to come back to issue four, just so that we keep a range of visions and voices as diverse as possible. Now, that's all from me today, tonight, tomorrow, whenever it is you have tuned in. Thank you so much for joining us. A huge thank you to our electrifying muses, my fantastic stars of today's show. Thank you to you, the listeners, for being equally majestic. I've been Jamie B. Donnelly. This was Eat the Storms. And until next time, stay bloody poetic. Oh, thank you.